Okay, hello and welcome back to The Cine Skinny. It's the film podcast from The Skinny Magazine. It's me, Peter Simpson, with Jamie Dunn. Hello. And Anahit Berries. Hi. We are back in the warm purple glow of Upload Studios in Leith. We are talking about some films. We are going to be talking about the new Black Panther film. We're going to be talking about a very, very good film that unfortunately only Jamie has watched. We're going to be talking about Timothy Chalamet's new one with Luca Guadagnino. And we're also going to be talking about Timothy Chalamet's other ones. The yeah. millennial legend that he is. Yeah. Um, but first of all, we need to do something very strange, which is thank people for coming to screenings that at time of recording haven't happened yet. I um, am. Yeah, so by the time this comes out, we will be able to say thanks to everyone who came to our After Sun previews at the GFT and the Cameo. Thanks to Movie for helping us put them on. At time of speaking, I don't know if they've happened yet. They will have happened. They will have, will happen. they will have happened, yeah. but they have not happened. What? No. what terrible event do you think might happen between now and seven o'clock i would say leave it in the comments but they'll know <laughs> by the time this comes out another cinema collapse yeah <laughs> yeah um <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's gonna be an awkward one to have to edit out later um and yeah if you like our podcast then do subscribe tell your friends let people know that it is good because we talk about good things and good films such as the things we've all been watching very recently. So, Jamie, you go first. What have you been watching? Well, just last night, uh, impromptu of nothing, I watched The Birdcage for the first time in probably about over 20 years, definitely, probably since the 90s. Um, yeah, and obviously I remember it being very funny and I remember all the daft bits like Hank Azario falling over and Nathan Lane wearing drag and being daft. But I'd forgotten just how sharp it was. like how this, And I didn't actually realise it was written by Elaine May, who subsequently since i've got into her films has become like one of my favorite filmmakers like just famous favorite kind of comic personality just hilarious person and you can see her mark all over it it's just full of like really amazing zingers like great like satirical bits at the republican party it's really forward thinking in terms of things like sexuality and gender and abortion rights and all sorts of stuff that no mainstream comedy in hollywood would to go near in 2022 so yeah i just adored it i just loved that this was like a massive hit in the 90s and it just really reminded me also how much i love robbie williams like he's uh he's just like yeah he's one of my favorite actors he's just like he's so good in this film and yeah, just cracks me up, and it's a shame he's not around because he's bloody great. He was great. I have heard nothing but good things about the Birdcage. I haven't actually seen it, but I would like to. My partner got it on DVD from a charity shop not long ago. Oh, cute! And it's currently on the list of things that we need to get around to watching. So maybe Jamie, first confirmed hit for the podcast, another watch for the Birdcage. <laughs> it's only took me a year. You're going to watch one thing I recommend. Thanks. <laughs> That's a pretty good strike rate, to be honest. Um, Annie, what have you been watching? Um, I haven't really been watching many films because um, I've been busy. <laughs> um, but I have watched almost all of The Sandman now, which came out in August on Netflix. Um, it's like the TV series of Neil Gaiman's kind of like comic graphic novel series thing. Um, but it came out in August, which obviously for us is like you can do nothing outside of the festivals in August. So I missed it then. Um, yeah, I really like it. I really, really like it. I almost put it on my best TV shows of the year, but then I just felt like the bear needed <laughs> pride of place. <laughs> so I didn't, but it is probably one of my favorite TV shows of the year. It's very like goth, very gay, very sad. Um, 
there's this one really really beautiful episode so it's about like you know the lord of like the dream world and like all of these shenanigans happen and there's this one beautiful episode where he's with his sister death while she's reaping and she's like this really gentle sweet creature and it's just like really like I sobbed like really kind of lovely ideas about like grief and what makes you human and yeah so I've like been really surprised by it I really really liked it a lot um so if you haven't seen it yet I would recommend that um but that's that's all I've done cool it sounds like it also might be thematically linked to one of the films we're going to talk about in a minute grief in that yeah 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 Yeah. didn't even mean that no um (laughs) look uh, at that (laughs) um i've been watching a lot of episodes of taskmaster which probably doesn't really fit on a film podcast i've also been doing that because i was visiting my friends and they're obsessed with taskmaster yeah what do you reckon like it's so good yeah yeah where did you start watching it what series did you start with they told me to start with the nish kumar series which is the best series that's the one we started with yes And it's so funny. And it's actually so nice to watch something that has no plot. Yes. Something that belongs on the television. Yes, it has no plot, but it does have recurring characters. Mm -hmm. And it has like an overarching narrative. But it also has people trying to throw slices of bread into a toaster that's on a roof. (laughs) Oh, Hugh Dennis. (laughs) Yeah. In my my house, we do not like Hugh Dennis. He's he's just our least favorite of a lot of them. Oh, I love Hugh Dennis. I think he has such a nice face. Wow. No? We don't like him. Do you like him, Jamie? No. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> <Heavy> <laughs> whatever, loser. <laughs> the no, like, I always get really upset when the Now Show comes on because I really like um, when I, like Friday Night Comedy on Radio 4, you've got like, uh, what's it called? Just the news show. Really good. And then the week that Now Show comes on, it's like, oh my God, it's you, Dennis, again. I cannot listen Why? to Why? That's such a bizarre, I just like, strong funny. reaction. Really? Yeah. Oh, I really like him. Confirmed partial beef between the Sydney Skinny <laughs> podcast and Hugh Dennis. Um, so yeah, I've been watching a lot of Taskmaster, but then that led me on to being on all four all the time, which reminded me, well, showed me that the favourite was on all four until very recently, the Yorgos Lanthimos uh, kind of Regency-ish kind of old-timey wig drama. <coughs> That's what they call it. It's technical uh, term. Yeah. <laughs> which is really good. If anyone's listening and hasn't seen it, they should watch it. It's very sweary. The script is great. The act, the, like the performances are brilliant. Emma Stone is amazing in it. Mm. Olivia Coleman is amazing in it. Rachel Weiss is amazing in it. Nicholas Holt pushes someone in a ditch and runs around <laughs> just complaining, throwing fruit at people. There's loads of like, and there's also lots of kind of cool anachronistic stuff like really wide angle fisheye lens yeah. shots and people just like f- flapping about all over the shop. Brilliant, love it great well if you like that you should watch the great which i really recommend the great is also uh, yeah because it's well it's got nicholas holt playing basically the same character um it's got uh elle fanning as catherine the great pre being catherine the great and then it's but i think it's shot at the same place it's like the the the, the manner where they shoot it i think is the same one as and there's a lot of connection i think somebody maybe the script who there's some connection other like other talent behind the the camera is also involved from uh, the favourite so yeah it's basically a remake but a TV show I'm into that it's good yeah because I do like people in big old costumes swearing at each other yeah. running around <laughs> absolutely causing it yeah. lovely stuff okay so first up review wise this week it's Black Panther Wakanda Forever uh, in this new one the nation of Wakanda has facing some new threats there's another group on the scene with Vibranium the kind of magic all powerful metal 
that group is an indigenous Mesoamerican civilization called the Talacan, who are led by this kind of winged god guy called Namor. There's also a kind of international power struggle over American scientists who's discovered a way to find vibranium. But above all this, there's the kind of grief among Wakanda for the death of King T'Challa, the Black Panther, played by Chadwick Boseman, who obviously very sadly died in 2020, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, it was yeah. like late August. Yeah. Like early September. So it's uh, it's following on from the mega smash, actually very good Marvel film, mm. um, which was like an absolute enormous hit really good as well like really critically well acclaimed by people like us who talk about themes etc <laughs> um and the new one has a kind of ensemble cast of a lot of the people from the last one so letitia wright lupita nyong'o angela bassett uh dana guerrera from the walking dead and there's also some new folk added in as well so namor is played by tenok harta and uh, michaela cole from i may destroy you is also in it a little bit as well um, so obviously a film made under the shadow of the fact that the main character and kind of leading point of the original has since passed away difficult situation to make a film in mm. Anahi, what did you think about how they handled that? Yeah, so I think the first Black Panther is probably the only actually important thing that Marvel has ever done. It was really, really groundbreaking in terms of black cinema, in terms of like visions of Afrofuturism. Um, not to say that it's the only thing that has ever done that or, you know, the first thing, but it just like really shifted the culture. Um, in the context of like $150 million dollar action yes, movies yeah, that yeah, are doing yeah, those yeah. things. Yeah. And kind of putting it on, yeah, that sort of wide level. Um, I think what is really interesting about this film is that it thinks through ideas of colonization in really unusual ways. So, like you say, it's kind of centered around Africa, um, centered around Wakanda, which is a African country that has never experienced colonization, and then this indigenous population. And I think often when we think about colonialism, we're kind of framing it through sort of whiteness or whiteness is kind of like present there and what's so interesting about this and what was so interesting about the first one is that they are post-colonial even though they aren't the kind of nations that they're looking at the cultures they're looking at aren't like a direct result of colonization and so then it kind of brings up these very interesting questions about like what does it mean to be post-colonial what does it mean to be beyond like the colonial and I think what this film kind of addresses is that like in a world where colonization has happened, even if like we're looking at these two cultures that have sort of hidden, hidden themselves away from it, where this violence has happened, it forever like shifts the parameters and the politics of what like violence and defense and resources mean. And I think that is just like really thorny in this film. Um, it doesn't have like easy answers. I think quite similar to like what the first one did with Killmonger, who is like a misogynist creep, but that like brought up quite interesting ideas around like politics. It's kind of doing quite a similar thing. Um, the original Black Panther was obviously very, very triumphant. And this complicates that, I think partly because of what happened to Chadwick Boseman. Um, and I think also it is just dealing with well what happens in the aftermath of that sort of triumph and I think that is really 
interesting. Um, it is very messy as a film. And I think part of that is that it's dealing with these very messy ideas that don't have easy answers and it's dealing with grief as well. And I think grief is quite a difficult thing to not be messy around. Um, and so there's a part of me that kind of has like quite a lot space for that, like that as a product of its ambitions. Um, there are parts of it that is messy just down to the MCU, which is less fun. They introduce this new character, Ironheart, which like I simply don't care. Um, and it's not even that like the actress that portrays her is bad. It's not that, but it's just so clearly setting up for the TV show that follows. It's just a bit like, like, shush. <laughs> and I think what made the first Black Panther so great was it was so standalone. Um, but you know, these are issues that what can you do? Um, I really hated the end. I think the way that it thinks about legacy, I did not like. So it still has like a lot of these like, yeah, very marvel things, which aren't great. But yeah, a lot of very interesting ideas it throws up, even if they aren't perfectly achieved. Um, and then, yeah, like the level of production, CGI, not great. Don't love all of that kind of stuff. Increasingly, just the CGI-ness of it, I'm out. But Ruth Carter does the costumes again, and she's amazing. Um, the details of everything are kind of insane. I think as a vision of Afrofuturism, it remains like pretty extraordinary. Um, so yeah, sorry, that's a lot of, much like the film, very jumbled. <laughs> yeah, a lot of things going on. A lot of things going on. A number of different narrative lines working. Yeah. Sorry, I'm knocking over the headphones again. That's all right. Okay, okay, I'm gonna start like this. <laughs> <laughs> a number of different narrative lines working in tandem, sometimes running directly into each other. Yes, but nice, <laughs> but, ni but nice costumes. Yeah, I'd, 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 I'd go along with that. Um, yeah, I was kind of, I was kind of impressed how they dealt with it. Like the, the, it's like the first scene. It's like Sherry trying to save um, the Black Panthers. You know, it's like it, it's like she's trying to use the technology to save them, and because she can, that is that lingers throughout the whole film. It's not as if they, they do that and then get on with the plot. That's like the driving force of this story. There's also it also starts really interestingly because we have this idea that the West, now that the Black Panther is gone, now that Wakanda doesn't have its protector, the West is now moving in. The, the West, Western world, Europe and America basically want to get their hands on their assets, their vibranium, because mm. like, it's like this amazing material which has turned this tiny little African country into a superpower. Um, and that is really interesting. Like, I, I would be up for watching that film, the, you know, Wakanda against the West. That, that would be really interesting, but the film is not... I don't think it's brave enough to do that because it has to be a Marvel film. It can't. It can't deal too much. But that scene where Angela Bassett's character goes into the UN or whatever what sort of meeting it was, and sort of rails them. Basically, mm. it's like so powerful, and she's fantastic. It's just a close up on her face, screaming at America and France about fucking use guys. We're not keeping this for ourselves. We're keeping it away from use because mm. you will plunder our country and use it for for bad. That is really interesting and thorny. But it needs to be a, a Marvel movie, it needs to be a superhero movie, so we have to have, you know, aqua people, you know, and I thought I, th I thought that wasn't as interesting. Mm. And and, I, and I, I totally agree with you say that, that this idea of a nation that's been sort of, basically sort of these people who have been colonised in the sort of, what was it, the 16th century and forced into the sea, you know, and have lived there and they're coming back for revenge is like a really potent, interesting idea. But then it doesn't quite make sense to me that they have to fight with Wakanda. It's like it's like the the the, the plot mechanics of how why that is is so dumb. It's like about it's about there's this young girl in Harvard 
Oh, who, for sure. Yeah, that bit is done. Who is a completely MacGuffin. Like I say, that character who, mm. who eventually becomes this kind of like proto, not proto, like kind of like uh, like uh, Iron Man st- mm. style figure. It's like just like so tacked on, like doesn't really, isn't really a well-rounded character and sort of is just put to the sidelines while this sort of main plot plays out. I just felt like that is just bad writing. It's like, and, a, and clearly they've been painted in a corner with like the main character's death. They have to work out some reason for, for these countries to fight. I just thought that wasn't really thought through in, a, in, a, in an interesting way. I agree that like the way that they do it is not that interesting because you're absolutely right. Like it is to do with, well, how will this story continue? And I think this is also a thing with like this phase of the MCU is it feels impossible to be enthusiastic about any of it because every single film feels like and here it's going to spawn like a hundred more. Like it's a fucking, what is that? Is that a Hydra? But yeah. like, oh, yeah. yeah, when you keep cutting its head off. Um, but I will say, I did think not necessarily the details of how they make that conflict happen, but I thought the conflict itself was quite interesting that these two nations are fighting and they're fighting because like colonialism has created this kind of environment of violence that they can't extricate themselves from even if they are separate from it and I thought that was really interesting and not just thinking about the west kind of coming in which obviously they will do and we all know that narrative but to be like it just creates violence like that is kind of the air that you end up breathing Mm -hmm. and I thought that was an interesting idea but yeah like the iron heart thing like could you not have done that in actual like be serious <laughs> and the thing about the iron heart thing just to cut in is the number of times that this character is referred to as the scientist mm. rather than by their actual name it's so i it could is riri williams is that the yeah. name of iron heart could literally have been a hat or a bag <laughs> or like an ob an object it's like we have to acquire object in order to yet yeah, advance the plot but mm-hmm. like, but what if Object could be could have their own Disney Plus streaming series coming in twenty twenty three? That would be better. Yeah. Don't know that it would, but fair play for giving yeah. it a shot, I suppose. Well, that kind of also doing another thing because I, I I do think one like I think um, uh, Letitia Wright is fantastic, and she's probably the, my favorite thing from the first Black Panther. But why I love her so much in that film is because she's so funny and so mm. spry and so surprising in that performance. You know, she's like an absolute breath of fresh air. And she's a nice kind of contrast to uh, Chadwick Boseman, who's a bit more serious and a bit more grounded. And they, they, they played off each other brilliantly. But now she that she has to carry it, she ha- and she's got this kind of, uh, well, she's she's carrying this kind of huge grief, really. She's, she's grieving throughout the whole film. She cannot be that kind of fun, spry character. Um, and it's just such a shame that we the film kind of misses that, and I feel like this kind of Ironheart character was meant to be that, but she's not used enough. So mm. again, the film just isn't that fun either. So it's trying yeah. to be a real. It, it doesn't quite pull off being a kind of serious film dealing with grief or colonialization, but it also isn't a fun movie to watch. Like I didn't think. I, th- I thought the action scenes all f- kind of fell flat. It's like strangely, like I think that's one of um, Ryan Coogler's real talents as an action like a really lucid filmmaker you know exactly what's happening but here i don't know there was like too much cgi it was almost a lot of flying a lot of creatures whales like throwing people around and stuff like that and it's like you know it's like it, it's it just looked like a cartoon I, I didn't quite get the real excitement i got watching the first black panther so yeah i don't think it works on any level really <laughs> was, a, <laughs> was a shame i like uh Apart from, as you say, the costumes are fucking amazing. Like yeah. even, even just like uh, the leisure wear, 
Like, yes. I love just the, the tracksuits Letitia Wright's character wears around town is like so cool. Like, yeah. Give, <laughs> give uh, is, it, is it Ruth Wilson? It's uh, Ruth Carter. Ruth Carter. Yeah. Ruth, give Ruth Carter all the Oscars. She's like fantastic. Yes. Yeah, I think one of the things that I found about it is that it sort of gets away from a lot of the things that made the first film so great. And it partly does that because like you, we've said about these Marvel films in the past, they are like a production line thing. And maybe ideally you wouldn't have actually made a Black Panther film right now mm. because the cast and crew and the creative talent are clearly in shock and mourning for the man who played the main character who was their friend and colleague. Yeah. But it's like, oh, but it's got a slot in the schedule so it has to come out. And it's they're trying to square this circle of making, like Jamie said, an action like a kind of action adventure superhero movie that is also like a treatise on grief and a tribute to a real actual human person. Um, so, because one of the things that I thought made the first film so great is how kind of real and tactile Wakanda felt from being like a location, but also having this kind of distinct fashion, distinct like mm. iconography and like visual identity. And what you end up with instead is if you can't focus on that, you go off and do what I am dubbing the lads on tour approach to sequels, where you take the characters that you do have and you just go and visit a bunch of different locations and yeah. see what everyone's up to and maybe meet some new folk on the way. But the interesting thing is actually building this, like say very, like fittingly for the first film, kind of like isolated standalone, but very deep and rich world. You then get away from that to go and, yeah, as Jamie said, talk to some people who live under the sea. Yeah. Um, under the sea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think the performances are generally very good. Yeah, Letitia Wright's very good. Lupita Nyong'o's very good. Angela Bassett is great. Um, on a technical level, there's just some stuff in it I'm not sure about. So much underwater photography that is just very murky. Mm. A lot of scenes in the dark that are just not very well lit. And, like, the unconvincing weird CGI, I think it's important to say that's not the CGI artist's fault. There's, like, a whole kind of ongoing issue with like CGI and visual effects in superhero movies and like blockbuster movies in general because more and more of these films are reliant on CGI but they're done in a very kind of like bit part piecemeal you know when you look through the credits and there's like 15 different VFX houses working on a film and there's actually a really good video essay on YouTube by the Royal Ocean Film Society that's called the visual effects crisis and it's all about this and it explains how you can get into these situations where like the CGI in a really big film looks bad. It's like it's because the people who are making it aren't getting enough time or money and they're also only working on one component and they don't see it all join up mm. until it comes out. And then James Corden goes on stage and slags them off because of the cat CGI. And like, well go fuck yourself. Make yourself <laughs> make yourself into a cat, James Corden. This is <laughs> I've gone off topic. <laughs> um, I just wanna say, yeah, in terms of the performance. <laughs> <laughs> Moving away from James Corden. <laughs> um, Danai Guerrera is also really good. Yeah. And I think her character, Koye, is kind of underserved, which is also a shame because she's such a like central part of that first film. Um, but she's great. And then also wanted to shout out my man, Winston Duke. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, Winston Duke. But use them more. Like, use these characters more. I felt it was just like too diffuse. Yeah, like yeah. he has like so much presence and he's so sexy. But, like, in a really, like, do you know, like, oh, my God. Like, he really, like, commands the screen. And I just think there should be more. I think that was what was so good about the first Black Panther as well, 
And I think it really goes to show just how good Chadwick Boseman was, mm. that he just gave it like such presence and he like brought it all together. And Letitia Wright is great, but I don't think this film had that kind of unifying thing. Um, and I think maybe they need to find that. The more I think about it, it feels like a film that is kind of hedging its bets about what to do next. Mm. Because it's instead of taking a very clear, like a very clear, well-defined story path, it's now got a bunch of different... Yeah. It's not a spoiler to say that there are lots of different plot strands in this film and they are not all resolved. No. So and I are, don't think that's Ryan Coogler's fault at no, all. No. It's, a, it's the fact that this... Uh, this film has to exist to fill this space in someone's corporate plan mm. but the film they wanted to make they literally can't yeah and now it's like now they don't want to tie all their you know they want to tie the whole future success of this thing that made something like 1.3 billion dollars the far in the, on the first one to one particular element of it mm. so like what if we gave it a hundred elements <laughs> and put them all on the screen at once at once people would love that it's the end of phase four, though, isn't it? I'm going to take your word for it. I think it is. Like, I think that yeah. phase four is done and has been, like, mostly an unmitigated disaster. So, <laughs> who well, knows you like Eternals. So. I really liked Eternals. I did like the new Spider-Man as well. But other than that, like, it just hasn't been great. And the thing is, most people didn't like Eternals. So I think generally across the board, it's been, like, a very, like, muted not great phase and I think a lot of people were thinking this would be what like brought it out of that and I don't think it has entirely which is a shame hmm. but still Ryan Coogler everyone involved in it still amazing still love them there are, yeah. there are things in it that you will like yeah. when you do go and see it because people will still go and see yeah. it yeah, yeah. yeah. and I, they should and yeah. I totally respect yeah. that it's trying to do something different it doesn't feel like a Marvel film mm. that you know it, like it's still very different from a Marvel film it looks different uh, It's it doesn't have as many kind of like you know the Hulk doesn't pop up for a cameo like it's, mm -hmm. it's not it feels distinct and yeah. on its own and I appreciate that it's trying to do something different and it's quite a brave thing to do to make a film about grief you know like yeah. like mm. like that's not that isn't a fun thing to, to do and and and, uh, and i've got to say that f the first five minutes is incredibly moving there's like a mm. great sequence it, it probably the highlight is that the first the scene funeral. we'll have a, a, a mm. funeral and it's like the contrast of the village people uh other Wakandan sort of like celebrating the death of the king and then also the family of the king sort of mm. like in deep mourning um and yeah it's beautifully done this is the thing it's just it's not an entirely successful film but i respect it a lot yeah. yeah and i think it is definitely worth seeing yeah so if you if you fancy it black panther wakanda forever is in literally every single cinema in, oh, in yeah. the whole world and will be still when this podcast comes out so <laughs> imagine if it imagine was just gone <laughs> um but yeah in any format you can think of big small imax tiny little village hall you'll be able to see black panther <laughs> wakanda forever Okay, next up, what we, what, nah. Next up, <laughs> next up, Jesus. what do we see when we look at the sky? Uh, so in a riverside town in Georgia, a pharmacist and a footballer plan to go on a date and then they wake up having magically transformed and have no way to recognize each other. Now, this is a film from Georgia directed by Alexandra Koboritsa and it's a film that Jamie came back from Berlin Film Festival raving about last year and it got it all sorted for us to watch on the podcast and I have put in the notes that circumstances dictate that neither me nor Anahit have seen it. Are we going to uh, say the circumstances? Uh, 
Uh, we we can. Uh, my circumstances were that I uh, forgot that it was on the plan. And what's your excuse? Uh, I got home late and was really tired and watched Looney Tunes back in action instead. Nice. <laughs> Guys, come on! <laughs> what are you doing to me? I feel like this happens every time. Everything you have, like, really push for a film, you it's either hate it. Two and a half hours long, Jamie. <laughs> but it's so much fun. Oh, it's okay. Like, anyway, Anahi, thirty seconds on back in action, then we'll let happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Friend of Fraser Hart, Loon Tunes are great. Good time. Would recommend. I yield the remainder of my time. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. So, Jamie, what do we see when we look at the sky? Yeah, you came back from Berlin Film Festival being like, this film's amazing, everyone should see it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 0 for 2 so far, but tell you what, we've still got the link for the screener. Yeah, Talk I'm, me around. Yeah, okay, pitch it to us. I really me? feel my power as a film critic here. Like, <laughs> what what more can I do, guys? Like, okay, this is like, this is like a modern fairy tale and it's like, and it's like so playful and so beautiful to watch. Um, and I challenge anybody who watches it not to want to go to this town. It's set in this, it's Kutazi, uh, which is a, maybe the third city in Georgia. So not like a city that's shown a lot, but it looks so beautiful, so sun-dappled, so gorgeous. And it's, yeah, it's this story about a boy and a girl who meet, they get cursed by an evil eye. You know, it's this kind of film where like things happen, but you just, it just roll with it. So that an evil eye curses them for some reason. They transform overnight. They get told that they're transformed by uh, a talking shrub and like a traffic light. It's like it's like it's just so wildly inventive. It's like it, it feels like you're watching a short film, but it's like two and a half hours long. It's just like so playful. So anyway, they 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 say they're going to meet. They they can't meet each other because they look completely different, and they also lose their skill. Jorgi uh, uh, is a footballer. Um, but then he tries to play football with the kids and he like skies the ball because he's like lost all his talent and uh, the woman Lisa she's a uh, chemist but then she forgets how to do all the equations that make uh, chemicals I don't know and so she has to she loses her job and they both get a job at the cafe they were meant to meet at so obviously we know in the end they are going to meet at some point but the filmmaker just like totally puts that in the back burner and then just takes his camera and covers the rest of the city and you get all these little quixotic stories about things happening in town so you've got like this couple who are making a film about love you've got two dogs who love football but they can't decide where to watch watch the match together so they want to watch the world cup but they can't decide one of them wants to watch it at the bridge where they've got a big screen the other one really likes to watch it at the kebab shop where there's like a little tv and it's like they argue and they go off and they can't decide and it's like and you follow each dog and uh, will they will they watch football together and then there's a whole section about kids who love football and there's a section where I wanted to weep, it was so beautiful, where it goes on for like five, ten minutes, where these kids are just playing a scrappy game of football while a cheesy song from the Italian World Cup plays over it. And it's honestly one of the most transformative pieces of cinema ever. And it's just, it's like this, it's, it's, doesn't, it's not like a real film, really. It's not like, a, it doesn't follow any narrative rules. There's almost no dialogue. It's almost all this kind of all-seeing voiceover, this kind of like... Eye of God, who's who's introducing to this town, and the way it's filmed is almost like a documentary. So, the filmmakers just went out and shot like little things, little sort of vignettes, and um, some of it with real kids who are just on the street, and then you've obviously got the actors who are playing this kind of fairy tale plot. I guess he's just following some dogs around. I'm sure the dogs aren't actors; <laughs> they're just real dogs in the town, and he's made up this little story about it. And it's just like it's just like so creative and so playful and just so imaginative. Yeah, I was just knocked my socks off, um, and and 
it is two and a half hours long, but I promise if you start watching this, you will not switch it off. It will just like fly by. I did so much again, then I switched it off. Sure. But it was 11 p.m. So. <laughs> you stop watching it and watch the brand new film. Come on. I only got like five minutes in. <laughs> I was like, I can't do that. Did you get to the dogs and football? That's what no, I didn't. Good. I didn't. Like, um, I am sold, Jamie. It yeah. just, it was 11 p.m. It's just like, yeah, it's like, it reminds me of like, you know, like, uh, like what's it called? 32 stories about Stringfield. It's a bit like that. It's like a... Uh, it's like it's like um yeah it's just like a sto- it's like a it's like a city symphony it's about this city with all these little stories going on it's it, it it's like music or something it's not like a movie uh it's like so playful so funny yeah and I, I just i don't know how i could recommend it more so you have the links go and watch it i am genuinely convinced i do want to say is it out in cinemas because i think that would well, also help it's, it's the kind of thing that would probably play at film house right so it's not going to play at film house i haven't seen it on the gft's lineup yet but it might play at the gft it's okay. that kind of film that will play at that kind right, of place. right right you'll probably find it online as well mm-hmm. um it's a joy if you can see it on the big screen i would do that yeah i didn't see the big screen i saw it uh, this was when berlin was uh, online because it was during covid so i actually haven't oh. seen it on the big screen either this is me watching my laptop and i'm that o- bowled over by it <laughs> Um, so yeah this is so nice I promise I will watch it it's like honestly the, the scene with the kids playing football with this cheesy Italian song playing over it made me want to weep <laughs> it's like beautiful <laughs> I'm sure the dogs weren't acting <laughs> <laughs> dogs, can, you, dogs can be actors. Hey. Not you taking that from everything he said. Dogs, dogs can be actors. I know dogs can be actors. The dog from Frasier, he was an actor. Yeah, I know. Why, why, you, why, why, you, yeah, why are you mocking that? I'm just thinking it was funny. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mocking it because it was funny, but the film does sound very, very good. So it is out on what do we see when we look at the sky? It's out on the 25th of November. Uh, yeah, just keep an eye out and see if it is playing at an independent cinema near you. You know what? You want me round. You want me round. Okay. You did it. Right. I, well, I'm going to go and see the big screen. Who's coming with me? I would come. I'll if it's come. in Edinburgh. Yeah. I would genuinely come. If it's in Edinburgh, you yeah. want to travel for it. Jamie, I'm like writing a book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have time to get on a train. <laughs> you can't take your victories where you can find them. <laughs> you, you do have time to watch the Looney Tunes back in action, that essential film from 2000. <laughs> Hey, Looney Tunes back in action is an, Im- is an important tome on the issue, uh, concept of friendship, okay? The thing is, Jamie also does genuinely like Looney Tunes back in action. Also. So, yeah, I don't know why action. you're mad. So third up, review-wise this week, it's Bones and All. The new film from Luca Guadagnino starring everyone's favourite gaunt lovely boy, Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> Um, and and another one actually, the person who's going to talk about it is the only one of us who's seen it. But you don't see me yelling about it, do you? Yeah, it's not, not as yet. I was <laughs> <laughs> just look straight at me and say you don't see me yelling about it though, do you? So yeah, I didn't have a screen where it's in my inbox. It's not if I watched. I don't know <laughs> what what changed. <laughs> um, anyway, another film that one of us came back from a festival raving about mm-hmm. Venice I believe it was Venice Bones and All so Anahe you've seen Bones and All which comes out uh, a week on Friday yeah new film from Luca Guadagnino teaming up again with Timothy Chalamet from Call Me By Your Name tell us a bit about what it's about and that I presume that it's good it is good yeah I really really love this film um, so it stars Taylor Russell as Marin who is this kind of young woman teenager 
who we find out very, very early on in the film is actually a cannibal in a kind of almost twilighty, this is who I am, this is how I was born, I can't help it kind of way. Like, it's not quite supernatural, but it's not like she just eats people for bants. Like, you know, like there, there is <laughs> like an urge I'll behind just it. i four people yeah. legend. <laughs> Look at um, me, top lad. And like at the beginning of the film, her father, who is like her only guardian, can't handle it anymore and he abandons her. And then she sets off on this kind of like odyssey through 1980s America and on the way meets several other kind of cannibal people. One of them is Lee, who is paid by our boy Timmy, um, and they kind of form this bond. And that's kind of like the broad setup of it. So yeah, I saw this at Venice. Um, I had quite a similar experience to when I saw Power of the Dog at Venice last year in that when I saw it, I did really like it. And then in the kind of days and weeks that followed, I just felt very like viscerally haunted by it. Like it was a film that really like settled in me and grew on me um, in really interesting ways. I haven't seen it again. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very curious to know how that would be like. Um, it's based on a YA novel by Camille De Angelis, and it does honestly feel a little YA at times. It does have that kind of like slightly twilighty, you know, this is just who I am. Um, but I think the triumph of this film is how it grounds a lot of these like tropey narratives of feeling lost, feeling like an outsider, feeling that kind of like adolescent life ruining love for someone. And it just renders it into something that is very like gentle and tremulous and real. And I think a lot of that is down to these two central performances that are just so like worn in and quiet and interior. And it's also that Guadagnino is just an incredible director. He's very good at setting like a particular tone, a particular mood. Um, this particular kind of dangerous idea of sexuality kind of runs through it in the way that it did with Call Me By Your Name. Um, as something that can kind of make and break you, which I think is just like a really, yeah, beautiful way he has of thinking about this. He has been very like, um, in interviews and stuff, very vibes only <laughs> about his own film. Like people try and like ask him serious questions and he just does a very Italian shrug and like, oh, it's not for me to say. Um, which I think is just the thing that directors do that you try and be like, this is so clearly like political and doing something and they're like political, me, never which I just find silly. Um, but there is like a real latent politics to this, like whether he notices it or not. Um, it's obviously set in the Reagan area and there's a sense of like suspicion the whole way. Like as they're kind of moving through the country, there's this like on the edges idea of like queer desire, which is really beautiful. It's just fucking gorgeous. The costumes are amazing. Everyone looks really good. It just feels so like it feels like romantic in the most like pure sense of the word. Like it made me feel like more innocent somehow, <laughs> even though it's like bloody and horrible and visceral. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It just does something. Also question for the floor. Should I dye my hair? <laughs> like Timmy does. Like he has this like pink hair that's like slightly grown out the roots. And ever since I've seen it, I've been like, should I do that? So something for us to consider. Yeah, I mean, go for it, I would say. Yeah, right, it looks, it really lash. suits him. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those are my thoughts. Good stuff. Thank yeah. you. Sounds great. I was, getting, great. I was getting, kind of, I've only seen the trailer, but I was getting kind of Badland vibes. Yes, like yeah, 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 very that. But I think more innocent than Badlands, because I think that really is, like so much of what Malik does is that idea of like corruption. 
And there's this idea that even though these kids are cannibals, they're not corrupted. Like it's just their nature. Mm. Um, and so they're kind of in a way like the most vulnerable, innocent creatures that are like moving through the landscape. And so like it's in really interesting conversation with Badlands, I think. Um, it's just great. I can see the pink hair walking. Right? Yeah. Oh, you pulled it up. Yeah, right? Yeah. It's good. Oh, it <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's go. go there for we it. go. Great. Go well, that's Anne Heat's weekend. So <laughs> Um, so yeah, Bones and All is out on the 25th of November, and it's going to be quite a wide release, I think. I given, think so. Yeah, I given so. the success of Comedy By Your Name and the success of We Timmy Chalamet. We Timmy Chalamet. Who we will be discussing after the break, I'm going to put in here. Great. Okay, we're back and we're going to talk about Timothy Chalamet. So, We Timmy, lovely lad every millennial and Zoomer's favorite film star. Yes. Um, we're gonna kind of talk through what it is that makes Timothy Chalamet particularly like effective and, um, sorry, effective like he's a screwdriver, <laughs> particularly like, <laughs> particularly good at doing the films and also being like hashtag iconic. Yes. So we're just gonna go through some of his past hits and kind of think about what it is in each of these that kind of makes it work. And Anne, I know you want to talk about something from fairly early on, which is Miss Stevens. Yes. A film that he was in before Call Me By Your Name. So this was like 2016. I think yeah. it was like a big Sundance hit. Um, yeah. It's by Julia Hart, stars Lily Rabe. It's another very, very beautiful film about grief. Um, it's about like this school teacher whose mother died, I think, or something. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I have a really bad memory, but I'm pretty sure. I can't sure. remember. Is somebody died? I can't remember. I think, isn't it that, like, it's they don't die in the film, but it's, she's dealing with the grief um, of yeah. her mother having passed, I think. Um, and she chaperones three of her students to, she's like a high school teacher, she chaperones three of her students to a kind of drama competition. One of them is Timmy, who, like, forms this very sweet, innocent, but also quite precarious, like, crush relationship on her and she's like so vulnerable that like not in a creepy way but she finds like the boundaries between herself and her students like sort of melting but also she's really resistant to that and just that kind of interplay between that is really I just love this film so much um I think it's beautiful anyway Lily Rabe is amazing in it I think the way that it thinks about that kind of like quietness of grief what happens when like that's all that you have left and trying to kind of continue with the everyday while that's like hanging over you the way that it navigates that is really good but I think like he is sort of the beating heart of it in a way because he's just so like innocent and kind of tremulous and just like kind of erratic and just really like he makes it all very tender um and I think you can see a lot of the seeds of like what he the kind of acting that he does, which is very like physical, very like lived in, like that's all kind of there in this very like quiet American indie Sundance drama. Um, I feel like not enough people have seen it. Um, and it's just really beautiful. I just really, really love it. Um, and I think, I don't know if he was already cast in Call Me By Your Name when that came out or if it was sort of one of the things that like led to him, but yeah, like just great, great film. Yeah. yeah. Well, I saw that after Come By Your Name. I already knew mm. he was a really great actor, but I think of it, I do think if I had seen it, I'd say, I'd say oh my God, that kid's amazing. Yeah. Like, uh, and you're right, it's, it's the physicality of him. He's like this kind of, 
he's playing a kind of nervy teen who's like doesn't quite know who he is yet like he's like kind of like he's all over the place he's trying to seduce this woman and he's totally yeah. out of his depth <laughs> and you think oh god what a, what a dork but then he performs as an actor and actually the scene is incredible he does like this monologue from death of a salesman yeah it's it's so good um and you can actually you almost see the teacher almost fall in love with him because he's, his performance yeah. is so interesting and like oh my god this kid has talent and that's that's working on the boundary starts to split for her but but yeah it's the physicality of it he he he, he can play uh the nervy teen but it's a teen pretending to be more confident than he is and it's yeah. like and you can see him do it and it's and and quite often when you say you can see the acting happen it's, it's bad but somehow when you see Chalamet do it I, I can I don't know it's kind of works I think because it's uh there's a naturalism to him there's a goofiness to him I think mm. on, on screen uh he, he kind of doesn't mind looking a bit silly sometimes uh, and uh, and from that all his films all are, always remember the kind of physical stuff like there's a, a, the, the scene I remember most in uh Miss Stevens is the scene where he comes in and he's jumping about and jumping the bed. on the bed, and yeah. he's just he's just doing like really kind of unusual things to, to like try and win her over. He's being very childish, mm. but also very kind of physical and clowny. Um, and I'd love to see him. Yeah, I'd love to see him do like a musical or something. I think he'd be great. Well, Wonka, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. So don't jump to the end. <laughs> but you know, you know, he's like, he, but that's he, he's got yeah. he's got a kind of old school kind of Gene Kelly style. Mm. It's all, it's, yeah, it's, it's very much about the, the movement and stuff. He's like, a, he's like maybe a, I'd say he's like a, he's like a method actor mixed with like an old school Hollywood actor. Like he's, yeah. like he's got that kind of feel, you know. Yeah. He is quite. Um, he is able to do multiple different things at once. I think it's that mix of like kind of confidence and vulnerability that is one of the things that makes him very appealing to a lot of different people because he's able to be like actor 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 but also because i think it's partly because his like physical stature is kind of interesting in terms of what you would expect from like a hollywood star in that he is as much as like oh wee timmy little uh little skinny timmy he is he does he doesn't look like what you would he simultaneously does and doesn't look like what you'd expect a big hollywood film star to look like no in that he is very obviously a hot lad but he's also kind of like his hair is always a bit kind of all over the place. He's like quite, yeah, skinny and like, uh, kind of like lanky but short at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing with him is that like, yeah, he is obviously a very attractive boy. All of the girls love him. Like, you know, he is like this. The shallow, teen... the shallow memes are correct. <laughs> the shallow memes are correct. Um, he is like this kind of sex symbol for I think that particular generation, but there's something so interesting about the way that he's attractive and that it just feels otherworldly. Like he feels almost elvish in a way. And I think he really brings that presence across in that, I think you see it even with the types of projects he chooses. And I'm now trying to remember who it was that said, someone said to him that like, you should never pick superhero films or something else. Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, told him like no superhero films and no I'm gonna look this up hang on um but yeah I think you also no dogs no superhero films yes it was that yeah 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 um and I think you can really really see that in how he kind of thinks about what makes a movie star and how a movie star presents themselves and the types of projects they take and that is something that's very like yeah not of this reality about it which is also what's so compelling yeah, yeah. i mean he was also he was almost a superhero though he got down to i think the final two or three for spider-man really so it could have been him or tom, tom holland you know and oh like, thank god what a different it wasn't. Uh, but i actually think he could have been a great spider-man like i say he's very physical i could imagine him doing that 
Yeah, really well, but like know? for I think he would have made it good, but what they would have done to him and his career would not have been good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's that thing of like if you describe what Tom Holland and Timothy Chalamet look like, you could use a lot of the same words but get a completely different outcome. Yeah. I think the thing of him being kind of like sort of off to the side of what you expect a lot of the time, Call Me By Your Name is like a film that kind of rocketed him to being like everyone's favourite new actor, which is when you actually go back to think about it Jamie actually quite a weird like very naughty very like difficult film to kind of like it's incredible in a way that it has become such a kind of cult hit when it is such a kind of like interesting with a big capital I and multiple underlines well, well it's like it's such a kind of sunny rapturous film it's a really easy film to watch like it's just it's a beautiful film it's it makes you want to go to that village and sort of have to hang out with these people and ha- and spend a summer you know just dicking around by the pool and sort of having sex and going for swims and going for like bike rides you know it's like a it's a great looking film and that character is just like he's an interesting character as well because he like he's a, he's a kind of I guess a cliche like kind of the precocious teen who's like a talented musician he's like sort of wide wise before his years and he's going this kind of like you know that kind of oh, that summer you'll never forget you know it's such mm. a cliche but it doesn't feel like a cliche when he's doing it for some there's something fresh about it there's something fresh about him and he is a little bit uh, off to the side a little bit kind of like skew or something there's something about him that's just not a typical teenager mm. um, and I think that's why it works and he imbues that character so well he, he, he you know he's just like technically very talented you know he learned piano for that he worked he can tell he's worked his ass off to make that performance great and it comes across as great mm. but there is just this goofiness to it as well it does feel like he's worked really hard but there's also like it feels like it's improvised almost yeah and again skittish yeah and in that film that's what I remember as well I remember like the, the scenes of him like after he's had sex with his girlfriend and he's just like hanging around and he's like clearly in a little kind of blissful moment and he's just like does a little dance you know he'll twirl <laughs> around and those are the scenes I remember like just his kind of again it's like balletic or something mm. um, and that's what I remember about that it's like and again he's just doing those extra things I remember like an interview with uh, Ethan Hawke where he was talking about um, River Phoenix Cause, so they were on a film together when they were young called uh, Explorers and they were both like 12 or 13 and Ethan Hawke went, went up to um, uh, River Phoenix and, he, and he, River Phoenix was walking up and down and he says, what are you doing? And, and River Phoenix says, I'm trying to work out how my character walks. And and, and it blew like Ethan Hawke's mind because he thought, oh, actors, aren't, when you're playing a character, you have to think of everything. And I feel like when I watch a Timothy Chalamet performance, I feel like he's thought of everything. Mm. And that's what I kind of get from him. Like it feels really natural. You know? Yeah, that River Phoenix comparison is so interesting because he feels like he belongs in my own private Idaho to me like he has that kind of like timeless Shakespearean but also very queer also very like both in things and not in things like he can occupy multiple spaces at once Mm -hmm. uh, yeah that that's actually a really interesting comparison I think I also have them I have like a bunch of film posters up on my wall that are all like queer films and one of them and they're all like those Korean film posters they're just really pretty and one is the Call Me By Your Name, which is him like reaching out that arm that they find in the sea. Oh, yeah. And it's just yeah. like his silhouette. And then the My Own Private Idaho one. Um, sorry, that has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> that just <laughs> reminded me. Um, I think the thing with Call Me By Your Name, which is really interesting, is that it also kind of started a little bit of his kind of 
fuckboy era <laughs> in <laughs> cinema. Um, and I think what is really interesting about that film, and it's really interesting about the novel as well, is that this is someone who is, he's like the younger person in the relationship, but the whole time through he has agency. Like, especially in the novel, it really is about him trying to figure out if this is something that he wants or not. Um, and it's him always like making things happen. And in like the film as well, his like, the way that he kind of sleeps with his friend and then like fucks around. I think you then kind of see that continue in like Lady Bird, which is just one of the all time comedy <laughs> performances <laughs> of the last decade in that we all know a boy like that. <laughs> we have all been around one. He's all ruined all of our lives. Like it's just so like pitch perfect. And I think we don't really think about him enough as a comic actor as well. But I think anyone that is so like in tune with their physicality then ends up being good at comedy because they kind of understand how to like negotiate that space. Yeah, and and also in he's able to do it in films that even that aren't particularly good as well because The King, the Netflix kind of like old timey, I want to say medieval just because that's the word I associate with old timey lads. Well, with souls. Henry the Fifth. So yeah, I don't, I don't, that's not medieval, but you know, uh, what would you call that? Well, Shakespearean, so like. Uh, but it's before Shakespeare because that was Henry. Yes. Yeah, slightly before Shakespeare, but yeah. What period is that? Old timey. <laughs> so he comes okay. out old timey, little haircut, and his <laughs> character is a right little shit. But you still like he's still so in, able to be so engaging with it, even with like you take away some of the things that you would think oh he doesn't have his little floppy haircut and he doesn't have his little kind of like, uh, like sunny if somewhat kind of nefarious disposition. It's like he's just a shit bag, but he's still so engaging as a shit bag, and the fact that he is like. Again, it's this thing, it's almost kind of like the way that Tom Cruise manages to get away with the fact that he's quite short and yet he's still like an action star. You see this? Timmy, I've met Timmy Chalamet. He's not short. He's taller than me. He just... He, he, he looks short on screen because he makes you think he's short. That's how good an actor that's he is. That's good acting. <laughs> that, that is A plus acting. Um, and then I also think that like, you look at something like The French Dispatch, he's, he's also clearly a very self-aware, smart person. Because his character in the French Dispatch feels a little bit like this character knows that it is being played by Timothy Chalamet, and yes. it's gonna have a bit of fun with him, <laughs> with his little moustache and like the hair's bigger than you, like bigger than ever, and there's like a little bit of like guy liner on there as well. Just... And like the cigarette is like part of his body, yes. like it's like an extra appendage. Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, you're seeing a uh, what's it called? The King yeah. was bad. I actually thought The King was pretty good actually for what it was and I think part of it is again he's great because he basically plays two characters because he plays Prince Hal mm. who is this kind of foppish wastrel king, uh, prince you know little fuckboy who gets drunk <laughs> and sleeps with prostitutes all day and that's that's his job that's his, uh, that's his, his job like, well, <laughs> you know he's a, he's a waster of a guy like a little waster prince and then he is thrust into the limelight when his dad dies and he has to become the king and instantly Shalami acts differently when he's when he's when he's king, when he gets uh, coronated when he get, becomes the king, his posture changes. He, he like he does grow like two inches. You know, it's, it's, and again, it's just his physicality. Those fight scenes are really great, and I think uh, he does know how to carry himself. And I think he, yeah, I think it's like he has a really good physical actor. You know, like some bad actors, you can tell they're bad because they don't know what to do with their hands. Timothy always knows to do what to do with his hands. That, that's his <laughs> talent. Stick it on the poster. <laughs> Um. <laughs> um, and then all this kind of com 
comes together, all these different elements kind of came together in the Denis Villeneuve Dune, mm. where he's leading man in a massive film, but he's still able to do all that kind of vulnerability and, um, what's the word? Versatility. Mm. But he's also able to do kind of like action. And he looks like a kind of action leading man and he plays it in the way that you would want it to be played. Yeah, I think the thing with Dune, the novel, is that it is so profoundly boring and Paul is so profoundly annoying. And I think it's something really magic that Chalmay does, which is the character is so, so recognizable from the novel. Like the mannerisms are the same and the way the pace of him almost is the same, like the slowness with which he thinks and the deliberation but then it just has come to life. Like it just feels not insufferable in a way that the book made me wanna die. And again, that is just like such a skill to kind of turn even like the driest of source material, no pun intended, but like truly so dry um, into something that feels, and obviously like he's surrounded by a great cast and he's like playing off of them. But yeah, like it, I think with the character of Paul, again, like it's someone that is so interior, so within himself. And the fact that he manages to kind of externalize all of that, um, I think is one of the reasons why that film works so well. And it felt like, I think a lot of people compared it to Lord of the Rings when it came out, which I don't really agree with in terms of like quality or anything like that. But I do think the comparison between them is similar in that they are both really, really big budget, really big set PC sort of action-y films that don't feel like blockbusters. They feel like art house cinema. And I think it's because there is a level to the performances and the way that they are like ingrained with the landscape and all of that, that kind of sets them apart. And I think he's like a really big part of how that works in June is that he's treating it like an art house indie film. He's not treating it like a big kind of like oh, this is my like franchise filmmaking, you know, even though it is going to have sequels and even though God knows what will happen, but it doesn't feel like that. Yeah. And I think that's pretty like special as well. Yeah, I agree. And no, I think he's, uh, he's a really good uh, He's and uh, Yeah, you're right. It's not a character who is, because he's very whiny, isn't he? Like in the mm. first half of the book, he's like a whiny teenager. And yeah. then the second half of the book, he's an arrogant, like, like prick. despot. You yeah. Know? So it's like, it, <laughs> so yeah. You're an actor that can do both. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah he's a uh, yeah he's good and, and even like I love how he can lead a film but he, then he can actually be a really good character you can put into like little women and be part of an ensemble mm. and sort of be really fun in that film and yeah uh, you know everybody fancies him in that and it's just yeah I can see why he's like he's the boy next door he's fun and and he's got a he's also we should also maybe mention his actual off screen life is kind of pretty interesting like like I like I like like he you know he's become a a little fashionista he, you know his yeah. I think his appearance on on the red carpet do, people do look forward to it and see what's he going to wear next you know like he he's sort of navigating that sort of side of celebrity quite well I think he doesn't go on social media too much he doesn't do that many interviews but he he does have a it does seem to have a kind of good idea of his kind of star persona mm. and his kind of star quality and how that, you know, doing these red carpet um, events and sort of dressing in sort of quite interesting ways and sort of, yeah, he seems to seem to be navigating that quite well, I would say. Friend of the pod, Shanlin, 
um, says that he has incredibly like non-binary energy. And I think that's really true. Like that when he's what he wears on the red carpet and how he like carries himself. I think he's always like playing with masculinity in really, really interesting ways that kind of after years of just seeing men in like black suits on the red carpet to see him in like a backless red jumpsuit. Like it's life changing. Like it feels genuinely. <laughs> and he doesn't always get it right. I remember that time he turned up as like a gas attendant at uh, like the, the Indie Spirits Awards. He looked terrible. They all made fun of him. But, but <laughs> what? You remember? Like, Hang he, on, I'm going to go. No. It's like. A, is this the one where he wore the harness? Because that was no, the, the, great. The, the, the harness is good. Uh, no, no. He, yeah, this was uh, before. It was the Indie Awards. The one, the one of the smaller awards before the Oscars. He basically looked like a like a. He should be pumping petrol <laughs> <laughs> oh and like the little white t-shirt yeah that's cute you know what he's, 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 but he's, he's sort of, i think he's got very good at it you know uh, yeah um and this then, before he had reached his final form i'm gonna say <laughs> yeah but then he also he's also like friends with pete davidson you'll do like really dorky stupid things with him as well so he is an interesting fellow i think uh and but yeah he seems to have he seems to be doing it he seems to be choosing good films like yeah. you know, he he seems to sense that if I work with good directors, uh, you know, I will get good. I'll, I can give them good performances, and he he sort of hasn't put that many foot wrong. I would say, you know, considering how much much must have been offered to him, you know, like yeah, in the last few years. Well, he's doing bones and all, and then he is doing a Willy Wonka musical directed by the guy who did Paddington. Yeah, I think that is potentially the first foot wrong. This, this feels to me like a roll of the dice. But then, yeah. a comedy novelty dice. But then Paul with, King did such a good job with Paddington. You don't know. I, yeah. I wouldn't rule it out. And I think, like I say, he, he is going to be good at a musical because he is like, I can see him doing the song and dance stuff great. Mm. So. Yeah. Well, it remains to be seen, but Bones and All, by all accounts, very, very good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Out on the 25th. The various other... Chalamet things we've just discussed will be either streaming or on DVD or on the telly. He's he they'll be you'll he's be able, everywhere. You better watch him somewhere. He's everywhere. Look out, he's behind you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I think that's probably it for today on the Cine Skinny. Thank you, Jamie. Just Pierre. Thank you, Anahi. Thank you. Uh, if you enjoyed this, then give it a like, give it a nice review, tell your pals, all that stuff. Um, if you want to find out what we're up to while Twitter still exists, uh, you can get you can get Anaheat on Anaheat Ruse. You can get Jamie on Jamie Don Esquire. You get me on Peter Simpson. All one word, no vowels. You can follow along with us uh, at the Skinny Mag. Uh, cheers to Josh and upload for having us. Uploadstudios.co.uk. If you want your podcast to sound like this, it doesn't have to be the same content-wise, but the nice rich tone will be basically <laughs> the same. Uh, and yeah, we will be back with the pod in two weeks' time. And bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>